Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. All right, welcome to episode two. Um, today we're going to talk about, because we're still laying a foundation here, right, on what's going on and who are, quote unquote, we. Um, I want to talk about Numa culture. That's currently like what my team and I are called. It's, I guess it's our brand. It's what we're doing. It's the name of the movement, I guess, that's starting here. Um, I want to kind of take a step back, though, and go back to like where did this come from? So initially, um, oh, man, how far back do I want to go? So the short version of this is I grew up with this gift to discern the spirit realm, to separate what's happening in the spirit, right? I didn't know that's what it was until I was 23. And all of a sudden, my whole life started making sense and things started to click and everything changed very quickly. And I started becoming really, I don't know, deft, skilled, um, impactful in my environment as I learned how to respond to and recognize what was actually going on, not the symptoms or the aftermath of what the results were of the source of what was at play, right? So the spirit world. And as I grew in experience and understanding and practically how do you engage with the natives of this planet, the locals, how do you actually like engage with the, with this stuff with them, even though they don't know what's going on and lead them to a place of breakthrough or freedom or understanding or clarity or connection, even though they don't actually know what you're talking about. And because guess what? You can do that. It's fascinating. Anyway, so in that, <clears throat> I started developing a pretty strong like procedure in my mind and protocol and practice of what the world looks like and how we're meant to engage, right? And I started trying to find language for this and to communicate to other people because I didn't want to be alone. You know what I mean? I had a couple of people in my life that I was doing this with and a mentor and, you know, we had a really small pocket of people who had a value for this, but we still didn't have a lot of language for it. And I wanted to have other people join this conversation and to be empowered as well, which I'm like, we need a language that people can understand. We need them to be able to participate and to do something with this. So put a lot of effort and energy in my own personal relationships, especially. I just went to town. And started finding languages, nope, language and concepts on how to export this to other people who maybe didn't have the same experience or the same priority, but still had a value for the real deal, right? And so being able to communicate that to them in a way they could understand was starting to cause the results to become a lot more profound and significant. Um, and that would produce fruit that remains, the Bible calls it. I would start seeing people's lives change, not just having, they wouldn't just have an experience. They wouldn't just have an emotional moment. They would actually start to change the way they lived and approached all of the moments, which was amazing. I mean, that's the kind of results I was looking for. I was like, this is profound. So anyway, long story short, I ended up teaching a class at Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry called Discerning Spirits, and that gained traction. And that's when I started getting really vigilant about finding the language. What are people actually responding to? Because then I started talking about this with people I had no relationship with, right? They didn't know me. They didn't, I didn't know where they were coming from. It was a one-way direction. I was just telling them things. And then they obviously would come afterward, come up to me afterward with questions or during Q&A, they'd ask stuff. People would come to me with prayer requests, all this stuff. So I started getting more of a grid and feedback from the community, from other people, what was clicking? What didn't work? What was scaring them? What was helpful? You know what I mean? And getting to, getting to continue to course correct and adjust and try and find a way to fine tune this that was still 
like true to the nature of the thing and productive for the layperson, right? And so just continuing to navigate that. And as that happened, my intern world started to develop and form and people started being attracted to me because of the discerning spirits thing. They started showing up and wanting to join me and follow me and work with me because they had such a value for, it wasn't just discerning spirits. So keep in mind, like discerning spirits on some level kind of feels like a bit of the marketing that's been going on. That wasn't intentional. It just kind of happened. That was the brand. It gave us like an identity, if you will, in the bigger picture. But I think in the student culture, what was most attractive for people was they wanted to be part of a team that prioritized family and relationship and connection, actually enjoyed each other, worked well together. There was a unity among my team that people were really inspired by. And I think that's probably one of the most compelling things that caused second years to want to apply to do third year with me. That's probably one of the strongest pieces of feedback I get from the environment and in their applications, especially they just, you know, they talk about discerning spirits and spiritual intelligence. That's all they pay lip service to it. But it's almost inevitable that every person's like, I love how he works with his team. I love how his team relates to each other. I love how empowered his team is. I love how blah, blah. And they start describing my team. They start describing this culture, right? And so I realized somewhere along the way, I'm like, discernment culture. I don't want to just call this discerning spirits. I want to like start articulating and intentionally moving toward a culture, having to create practices and attitudes and mindsets that a people have agreed to that are they're walking out and demonstrating that would perpetuate a lifestyle choice, a value system, a priority that was catering to where discerning spirits was coming from, but not just discerning spirits. We're actually talking about the kingdom of heaven, right? We're talking about God and how he's established stuff here. We're trying to articulate and do our best at legitimately aligning with where that's coming from in the spirit realm and choosing to partner with that in the natural. How do you actually do that in intimacy, in relationships, at your job, with your finances, with your time, with your whatever, all the things, right? So discernment culture kind of became that brand. And so last year, season three with my team, we did this class on Monday nights at Bethel called discernment culture. It started out as an eight week equip class, but I asked, I want it to be ongoing from the moment we started. I was like, I want this to be an ongoing thing, not just eight weeks or 12 weeks or whatever. We went for the rest of the year where every Monday night we would have a we'd have discernment culture, the class where students would come, we'd have worship for a bit. There'd be teaching. Um, and then we'd have small groups. And I basically broke up the whole class into groups of people, like five to eight people that each person on my team would lead their own group and walk people through. How do you actually implement this and practice these things in day-to-day -day life, in your relationships, in the way that you're living? What does it look like? It's not enough to just get information from the stage or from the microphone. You need to like be able to like, get into the nuanced little specific contexts that you walk this out in and what does it look like here and how do you how does this adjust or what is the you know how do you what how does this affect this thing or whatever i wanted to give them that more like life on life personal connection which you know i don't know if that's enough but it was like better than what we were doing and so we did that which was it was super cool it was such an interesting experiment the funny thing that came out of that was um, my team actually ended up, I think, receiving most of the benefit from doing that every Monday night because we would get together for, you know, half an hour before the class and connect and like game plan and figure out who's doing what and strategize and get it together. And then after the class was over and small group was done and people left, it was just my team and we would debrief and we'd talk about, okay, what happened today? What'd you see? What'd you love? And we'd celebrate each other and recognize the things that we had value in the class and then our small groups and you know, who was running worship and who did this teaching session. And I started having my team members get up and do teaching, which was awesome and fascinating. And so my team members like made up books of the Bible that weren't real and <laughs> not on purpose. They just out of ignorance. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, we need to vet this, but that was hilarious. Anyway, um, it was so much fun to do this together. You know what I mean? We needed, I needed the team to have stuff that they owned and got to contribute to and like have some creative outlet, but also like learn how to be in that place of impact and influence. Cause I didn't want to just be the only one 
influencing the environment or like leading people. I wanted to teach other people how to do this. Like part of my um, background in the business world is like, if I can't replace myself, I'm not doing a good job. Like I'm going to have a job for the rest of my life. Right. So I've learned how to tr like, I'm definitely trying to learn how to duplicate myself and not just be the guy. I want people to be able to do the things too. Right. I think that's actually a very biblical model. Jesus is like, go make disciples. Right. And I think that's kind of a dying art. I don't want to pronounce that as like a negative thing. I just don't see a ton of it that I respect and value as much anymore. It seems like it's kind of this extinct almost practice where it's like something that used to happen. We read it in scripture and it seems super normal there. But when you see it today, like is there discipleship, discipleship happening? And I do see it here and there. There's certain pockets, certain individuals. But then even in our culture, there's this attitude about discipleship, whether it's the discipler or the disciples, where people get kind of paranoid and suspicious. Like, oh, this is kind of cultish. You know, they start like using words like cult and controlling and whatever minions and they just have these labels and these judgments about a discipleship model that I'm like, that sucks. It's not helpful. You're actually like discouraging something that's really necessary for transformation to be passed down for someone to walk in a skill and an expertise and a profound ability to impact in a certain way. When you degrade that you're actually like sabotaging or getting in the way of what should be something that's beautiful, protected and supported because it's not easy and it's also not common. And so I'm sad that that tends to be like a response that I've noticed an environment has to a discipleship thing that's going on because to me it's so essential and I wish we had way more discipling things happening, not just groups and not just communities, and not just um, organizations, but you know, life on life mentor with the disciple relationship and dynamic where that's like an experiential walked out daily thing that's actually being practiced. Anyway, so that's a huge value of mine. So it was really cool to have an outlet and a platform to be able to bring my pupils, my disciples, if you will, into a place where they're starting to exercise and practice the stuff that they see Mike doing all the time. Super cool. Anyway, so that was a, a really fun experience for us. It actually bonded us quite a quite a bit. And I think it took our team discernment culture from, oh, Mike and his past interns, you know, and then his current interns too, like, whoa, this is actually one community of people working together, moving towards stuff. And this is profound. And the buy-in that came from all of us was like, it went through the roof because of discernment culture, the class. Like we just started realizing there's more going on here than we understood. I don't think that was the plan. I was doing that just to try and you know, serve the environment and give my team something they could actually sink their teeth into and start practicing. And so Anyway, from there, I think the biggest win for us, you know, apart from all the students that got to come be part of it, and they gave us such powerful, profound feedback. Like they were just like, this class has changed my life. This has been such a significant piece of my experience at BSSM, blah, blah, blah. Like really strong feedback from the students. So that obviously was worth it in and of itself. But from my team, just the the pregame, the actual execution of the class, and then debrief especially, we just had so many profound moments together where, you know, there was this thing growing and evolving from that place. Um, where it actually changed our team and something happened and something got birthed, if you will, or like matured, intensified for sure, where now like this year, season four, we're just kind of riding off that momentum and, and building upon it. And it's only growing and becoming more intense, which is awesome. So anyway, it was discernment culture for a while. And then this last year, so actually it was almost a month ago now from the time of this recording, um, I got several people from my team together and we just talked about, I was like, I need, I want a better brand, something more unique, something more specific that can ident that we can, um, that can separate us or set us apart in the world where people can know, like, that's who you are. When you say this, that's these guys. And that's what they stand for. And it was just like, it connected and it clicked. Right. And so from there, we played with a bunch of words, looked at some Latin and some Greek and some Hebrew and like, you know, what, what matters, what clicks, what's, and I had some funny words I had chosen that I had my eye on. They're like, yeah, that's kind of strange and whatever. Anyway, long story short, we landed on Numa. 
So NUMA culture then is, you know, what we've embraced and branded ourselves with. The word NUMA is um, a Greek word in the um, the Bible having um, explaining the definition of several things, but spirit, right? So spirit being breath or wind or an angel or a demon or the Holy Spirit or a human spirit or the force or, you know, influencing thing that governs the soul of any person, right? Like spirit, like there are lots of ways that that word gets used. And so we wanted to use that, but we changed the the spelling of it so that it would be something unique to us. And so N-U-M-A, Numa culture is where that came from. And we executed on it immediately. And it just, it took really well from the audiences we were working with. People bought onto it really easily. There was, it was like almost unquestioned. I had some people on my team who were like, what? I'm like, listen, you're going to have to just get past that. We're doing this. You know what I mean? I did like pull on the CEO hat and like, no, this is what's happening. And so we moved on it and now it feels really normal in such a short time. We've just become, it just has become the thing, right? Which is awesome. Anyway, so that's where Numa Culture came from. It was very much an organic process, which I have a huge value for. I hate the idea of coming up with something with my brain and then trying to make it happen. I love my brain noticing something else, something more substantial than my own thoughts that I can come partner with and say yes to and host because when it comes from spirit when it's coming from that place when the source is from the spirit realm your mind can obviously bring strategy and reason and logic and practicality to that thing but it, your mind cannot create the breath it can't create the life your mind can only you know grab the housing that will protect and like carry it or whatever a vehicle or whatever right so i love when stuff is born from organic process and it's like authentic and it's alive and it's breathing not because it has to be that way i just noticed that for me it feels a lot more rewarding when that's the case and it always tends to be the differentiating factor as to whether it succeeds or not and sticks around so anyway that happened so you know by the grace of god fortune is struck like we've got something that's alive this thing is like moving without us like it's beyond us it's so cool and i'm so honored and privileged to get to be at the forefront of this and to lead it and you know kind of be the face of this movement if you will um, and we're using language like this, culture, movement, you know, branding, whatever, because it's just starting to become a necessity, especially as we're competing in the business arena. I don't want to be a ministry. And I guess we're gonna have to talk about that at some point. I don't know if we're gonna talk about that on this episode, but, um, at some point we'll talk about the differentiation there, but I'm so much more identifying with the business arena for very specific reasons and not based on industry standards. It's more based on personal bent and things that I've experienced with the Lord in my life and with the economy and with mindsets and cultures that are in place. Anyway, we'll talk about that in another episode, but um, Numa culture, what do we do? So I guess I wanted to take a moment and just kind of explain to you guys my schedule, you know what I mean? Which sounds like it could be boring. I promise it won't be boring, but I just want to give you a layout of what my week looks like with my team to just give you an idea of like how we've been working out, you know, sustaining relationship and connection and being productive and working together. Right. And I'm not saying this is the model I'm recommending. I'm not like endorsing or prescribing this to anybody. I'm just letting you know, this is what we've come up with thus far. That's been functional and the best model we've worked out and it's going to continue to evolve because as our team continues to expand and as our projects continue to get bigger, we have to adjust as well. So anyway, this is where we've been just to give you an, an inside look at what this has looked like for NUMA culture. Okay. So on Monday, currently this trimester of BSSM, I teach discerning spirits at 1030 in the morning. So my team meets at 10, we pregame, everyone has their stuff, right? So like Ian's in the back running the sound and the slides and whatever. Um, Ian's in the back running a bunch of like technical stuff, right? Jake's back there with Josh as well, kind of supporting Ian. Ian gets in there and puts the music on immediately to help set the atmosphere of the class. Drew's getting on the slideshow and working the projector and getting my stuff uploaded and connecting my clicker or whatever. Jamie's grabbing me a bottle of water and making sure that I'm, you know, I'm personally being looked after. Becca's saving seats for our team and our guests that are joining us, especially for the day. 
um, Jana and Emily and Chrissy and Annabelle are at the door typically, like greeting people. Alyssa might be doing that as well. Um, Chris is setting up the camera and doing some interviews with students. Obviously, Drew's overseeing that process with Ian, and they're kind of collaborating to make sure the cameras are in place and because we're recording this. And I don't know, I'm probably missing people, and I don't mean to do that, but like we're just kind of all running around getting stuff set up and prepared. And the rest of the team, if they're not doing any of this particular stuff, they're hosting the room, they're engaging with students, they're connecting, we're building you know a relationship with these people. Zach makes sure the temperature drops. Right, so it's not super hot. <laughs> anyway, so that's Monday morning. It's okay. This is way more involved than I was planning. I'm gonna, I'm gonna speed it up. Um, so that happens. We teach the class, and then afterward, we debrief. Afterward, so obviously we're answering questions with students. We pray for them, whatever. And then one of my team members has to grab me and pull me out, you know, away from the students, which you know is sad. I'd love to talk to these guys, but you know, time is a factor as well. So we leave and we have debrief, just us, and we get to talk about what happened in the room. What did they experience? What did they love? What did they see? What did they learn in the content itself? But then also with the students, how did prayer time, how did questions and answers go? Um, sometimes my students have, my team have questions for me on the content. So we get to discuss and, and, and unpack and like digest, discuss, unpack and, unpack and digest, you know, the content from the class or what's going on that obviously has um, meaning in the greater context of the journey we've been on together. And so sometimes like, I'm actually kind of kicking myself right now having not recorded our debriefs from after the class because some profound conversations have happened in that room based on what people are processing and like where is this fitting, where does this click and just realizations that people are having on what this means for life and for relationships or whatever. I'm like, yeah, that's a big deal. I wish we could have captured that being articulated and explained to somebody who's learning it for the first time because it just seems so helpful. And so we're just starting to try and get better at like capturing this stuff so that we can export it for people, right? So anyway, we debrief, it's profound, it's awesome. And then I race off to lunch and then we come to my place and my media team will gather and we'll shoot um, whatever shoots we need to do for the day. So um, we have several YouTube series that we do, right? So there's Spirits in the Theater where I discuss the spirit behind a film, the actors, the story, whatever. Um, that's a series. We do um, questions with Mike where questions we get from social media or classes we'll, I'll answer in a YouTube series. And so we'll just make videos out of that. So we'll shoot those. Um, we do fa uh, conversations with fabulous people. So I'll grab certain other influencers in other environments and have them jump on this YouTube series with me and we'll talk and just connect and ch chat about whatever, you know, and it's supposed to be fun. And it usually tends to be a little more you know, meteor than I expect, but it's a good problem. But you know, anyway, so it's that. So we'll shoot something like that every Monday from two to four ish, four thirty sometimes. Um, and then Tuesday, my interns all go to third year class, right? They're all like doing school with BSSM that morning. And then Tuesday afternoon, we have what we call blitz time. So oh, let's talk about blitz time, shall we? Um, it's from one to four p.m. I've got four blitz teams with four blitz team captains and each captain has three other team members on their team who each play a role or a function within their respective team right so the four blitz teams are social media video team or like the media world in general um there's the online brokerage team the business part of things and then the culture team so this is like the resources and the communication and the admin stuff um so we've got these four different blitz teams and they have their respective projects they're working on and the whole goal of blitz time is to be target focused and to blitz in that time to not just do busy work and kind of be bored but to like have a focus and a short-term burst of energy and activity we work toward every tuesday or wednesday depending on what time the, what day the team meets <clears throat> so the two blitz teams that will come on tuesday are the media team and the video team or the social media team right so those two teams will be we're actually currently meeting at my house. We're doing this garage entrepreneurship thing, right? We're doing it out of my garage, if you will, like metaphorically. So they'll meet and they'll work through that stuff. Um, and then there's also a scoring system here where like 
people on the team are incentivized to show up on time, show up early to stay for the whole time, to hit their targets for the day, to not ask Mike for help. So trying to empower this, the teams to be solution oriented, to be creative, to find solutions, to be innovative and all that. Um, and then at the end of a four week cycle, there's a, anyway, there's a bonus and all that. So, and then the, uh, on Wednesday we have teaching time. So the, sorry, there's actually a captain's meeting Wednesday morning. So at 7:45, the four blitz team captains will meet with me and we'll go over what's going to happen for the next week. Right. So hit their targets and explain all, and make sure we're all on the same page. And then at nine o'clock we have teaching time with the, all the interns. So they'll all come over and then I'll teach them for a couple hours. I like to say that I indoctrinate them not to be creepy, but legitimately like just kind of pulling stuff out that they've learned and believe their whole lives that may or may not be true, that might actually be very unbiblical, untrusting of the Lord. And we kind of pull that stuff out, like dissect it, put the, spread the guts all over the table and just really like analyze, what are you walking around with? Are you sure you want to keep this? Is this actually helpful? Is this lined up with reality? Is this true? And so in that space, it can get pretty emotional. You know, people are having these breakdowns in a good way of just realizing I've lived my whole life this way and it's not true. It's not accurate. It's not right. It's not in line with who God says I am or who God is. Right. And so that stuff gets happening all the time. It's a pretty interactive time. Like I'm teaching, but also I'm asking a lot of questions. I'm asking them to participate and respond. And I think sometimes they feel like they're tied up to a chair and just kind of like, what's the right answer? You know? Um, <laughs> but it's a very interactive, transformative space that, you know, my interns, I think, legitimately start to become other people because of that platform, what they're able to engage with and, you know, the, the capacity to like trade and adjust in that space. It's profound. And then afterward, I'll try and put some lunch in and then we'll have blitz time for um, the product brokerage team and the culture team for that day. And then after that, we have squad goals. So on Wednesdays at 430 we have four different squad goals. So this is a whole different like branch of the same team. We've got um, four different squad goal, squad leaders, right? With four other people on their squads. Um, so there are people that are on my bigger team that aren't in a blitz team, but they're in a squad, right? And so these four squad goals will meet on Wednesday from 4.30 to 6.30. And, you know, they're going to connect for a couple hours. So they're probably playing a game or something and or having a meal or chatting. But at some point they're connecting, they're gutting themselves and like sharing their hearts and smearing their guts on each other and, you know, doing life and connecting and building a more in-depth, intimate, intentional relationship with each other. Right. So there's that. And then on Thursdays we have spirit, the, my group spirit coaching. It's an online thing I'm doing with um, people who want to be trained in how to spirit coach, not as a certification, but just as a life skill. And so um, we've got two people from my team who helped me run that. And it's all just done online. And, um, so that happens on Thursday mornings. And then on Fridays we shoot podcasts slash videos. And then I also do like, um, uh, like photo shoots with Chris, our photographer and some other people to capture content for social media. Anyway, so that's kind of our general run of the mill, like weekly process. And then on Sundays at night, we usually have like an unofficial, um, an unofficial like hangout time, whether it's for fun, whatever, and once a month, we'll do like an intentional family night where we all get together. Oh, I totally left out Tuesday night. We've got family night with season four. So we'll all get together and have dinner together and do highs and lows and just connect on the week. And then we'll usually watch a movie. Let's be real. We usually do something fun, but typically it's we're watching a movie. <laughs> um, and then Saturdays is hit or miss. You know, we might play volleyball together. We might be on a day trip somewhere or whatever, but you know, that's not always, sometimes we don't do anything together on Saturday. Um, Anyways, that's kind of generally like what our rhythm looks like, just to put some groundwork and structure in place for us to actually have life on life, to do it together, 
Um, one of the things that's a super important value on my team is I want every person carrying something. I want them to have some sense of ownership over whatever it is that they're responsible for and contributing to the team. Because without something to contribute and to own, people's value and understanding of their role in the world, in their space, tends to diminish. And when they don't feel super connected or like committed to something, they tend to drop off and they tend to get become susceptible to other things that would steal from what they could have if they were actually, if they had skin in the game. You know what I mean? And so I don't, actually like having anybody on my team that doesn't have any kind of skin in the game it feels like they're set up for failure and it's also like stealing from other people in the environment so anyway all this structure is to try and support the opportunity for people to have things to contribute to buy into to participate in to run with which i think is such a profound and important piece of a legitimate thriving community or culture of any sort any team right um anyway so that's kind of our, our rhythm and um, flow and so I think I'm going to end it here and then on our next episode I want to talk about why Numa culture how did we get here like the philosophical approach to what we're doing and why it matters in the grand scheme of things so anyway thanks for tuning in guys we'll see you in the next episode listen there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.